Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Before we, we get to 1 Peter 4, this is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's verse 3. This is talking about the last days. It says, well, let's start in verse 1. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And that's the, the thing I want to emphasize. These last days come upon us as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. If you've ever talked to a woman that's gone given birth, you know, doctors will tell you labor pains start sometimes days before the woman's even aware that she's in labor. They're that slight. But the farther you go, the more intense they get, the closer they get to where when you get right at the moment of birth, it's just the contractions come and they stay and the doctors scream and push and the woman's screaming, leave me alone, get this out of me. And then the baby's born and the second the baby's born, everything's forgotten. It's like, I just want that baby. Well, that's how the return of Christ is. We don't know exactly when it is, but we do know the signs of the times. And part of the signs of the times are the, the day after the rapture will not be that much different to the world than the day before the rapture. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and it's going to intensify, and the problems that used to take 20 years, 30 years, 100 years to manifest themselves are going to manifest themselves in days or weeks and, and eventually hours, and it's just going to get harder and harder and harder until the church is birthed and Jesus pulls us out of here, and then he gets to deal with the world and Satan, basically, for their unbelief. But let's go to First Peter. I want I want to take a look at this because if if you if you are at all, I I don't I don't want to say this wrong, but if you have any discernment at all, you just know things are hard right now, and they seem to be getting harder. There's just more pressure. There's more temptation. It's like everything has just ramped up in the world. People are, I mean, I can remember when I was growing up, uh, my dad was an only child, but my mom was number nine of 11. So, man, when we had holidays, it was huge. I mean, you know, you didn't sit at, there, wasn't a, there was no kids' table and the main table. There was the main table that had the food on it, and you grabbed your plate, and you found somewhere to sit on the floor, leaning against the, uh, I mean, there was no place to sit and eat. You just all jumped in. But I also knew that when you got there, there were certain topics, man. You just don't bring up things. You don't talk about this person. You don't talk about, you don't talk about your cousin that's in prison. You don't talk about politics. You don't. Today, family gatherings, uh, a lot of people aren't even having them because they get so vicious so fast. Because why? 
you voted for Trump and you didn't vote for Trump, or you voted for this thing and you don't support this thing. And people are at each other's throats. There are families that are torn apart over things that no one in the conversation has a bit of control over anyway. Why is that? Because labor pains are getting more intense. They're getting more intense. First Peter chapter 4 gives us an, uh, a hint of how we're going to, that we need to as the church, deal with this whole situation. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, let's just underline that right now. You are going to be, there are going to be times of suffering. If you're alive, it's going to be hard. But keep in mind, Jesus is the way maker. We just sang it. And Jesus looked down through all of history and said, yeah, I think you're tough enough to handle this time period. Sometimes I question his judgment, especially when I'm looking at myself. It's like, no. But I'm here. That proves his judgment. So, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. There are some things we need to do. And notice it starts with how we think. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. He gives us a choice. You, you should no longer live for the flesh, but start living for God. Verse 3, and I'm just going to read the first part of this, says, For we have spent enough time, or enough of our past lifetime, in doing the will of the Gentiles. And then he goes through a whole list of the works of the flesh that we did when we were Gentiles before we were saved. Hopefully we've been delivered from those now. Drop down to verse 7. He says, But, and this is, this is Peter talking nearly 2,000 years ago. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. If the end of things were at hand 2,000 years ago, how much closer are we today? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Number one thing he needs us to do is pray. If you don't have a prayer life, you're not going to be equipped to handle the problems that life is going to throw at you. Verse 8, above all things... Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now that, we're, we're going to have a prayer life, we're going to have to learn to walk in, that's love is agape. Remember there are five different words in the Greek for love. This one is agape, which is the God kind of love. It's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. He didn't come and love us in response to anything. He came and loved us because that is his nature. And therefore, since we are his and we have his nature now, we need to manifest that nature in love. But notice, when we do that, that will cover a multitude of sins. There's a, that's a two-way street. That will, will means we will not expose sin to other, of other people, but it also means that God's not going to expose our sins. There's the, the, both of those are working. Number nine, or verse nine, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. 
Now, it's interesting, that word hospitable, it's a, it's a compound Greek word, and literally, it's, it's part of it is the word phileo, which is brotherly love, where we get the name for the city of Philadelphia. It's the city of brotherly love. But it's, it's Philadelphia, or philos, and um, xenos, which was where we get the term for xenophobia, fear of strangers. What he's saying is, when you meet people, when, whether you are acquainted with them, not acquainted with them, love them like your brother without grumbling. Well, I'm going to love them, but I don't have to like them. Can't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in marriages. Starting at my own mouth. I love you, but right now I really don't like you very much. So I'm heading out to my, I'm going to my man cave. No, he says, we need to walk in agape love, unconditional, unmerited love towards people just because they're people. But we also need to walk in brotherly love. Brotherly love is, is a response, but we need to do it without grumbling about it. Well, I'm going to love them, but man, you know what they did to me? Quit griping, just walk it out. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift. Now, these are the gifts and I'm not going to go over there, but you go over to Romans 12 and read about the, these are the gifts that Romans 12 lists. This is not manifestations of the Spirit that are listed by Paul in Corinthians. The, the gift of miracles and, and faith, special faith and, and healings and tongues and interpretation. Those, those are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The gifts that he's talking about are gifts that we have and we can walk in. They're really more like empowerments or talents. Modern terms, we would call them talents or abilities. But God has given us those gifts. And he says, as each one has received that gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When you walk in your calling, when you walk in your gift, you are manifesting God's grace to other people. By being, when it says minister, that literally is the Greek word doulos, which means the lowest of the lowest of the lowest slave. You become a slave. Jesus said, do you want to you rule all? Then you have to be servant of all. Jesus rules the universe because he took the lowest position there was. He took the sin of the world on himself. He became sin. And he conquered it. Thank God he conquered it. He, it, it conquered him. I don't know if that's a good word, but let's just stick with it. It conquered him temporarily while he paid the price for that sin. But once the price for our sin was paid, then he conquered it for all eternity. And it's always conquered. We have to have that same mind. I will serve everyone because God's given me a gift and I need to manifest God's grace to the world, and I do it by serving people with my gift and my talents and my abilities. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, when words come out of your mouth, it ought to be God talking, not you. And the only way you can do that is you are speaking the word. You're not allowing your flesh, you're not sharing a piece of your mind. You're letting your spirit control your tongue. James says the tongue is an in uncontrollable flame of fire. It can set off whole forest fires. And if you've lived more than five minutes, you know that you can say 
in three words problems. You can make problems with three words that you can't get out of in three years. So put your tongue under the control of your spirit, and it ought to be God speaking when we speak. If anyone ministers or is a servant, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Let it be. Amen. So when you read from verse 7 through 11, this is a pretty good picture. We've got suffering coming. This is how we deal with it. We pray. We walk in love. We're hospitable to everyone without griping all the time about it. We become a servant so we can manifest God's grace to everyone we meet. When we speak, it's God speaking because we only speak His Word, and God's glorified in everything that we do. Now, I think if we do all of that, man, it's time to get blessed. Let's read verse 12. Let's see what Peter, what the Holy Ghost through Peter says. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. What? I'm doing all of this right. I'm praying. I'm walking in God's love. I'm hospitable. I'm serving people, manifesting God's grace to them. I'm speaking the word constantly, and God's being glorified in everything, and you're telling me my reward is I'm going to face fiery trials? Yeah. That's, that's just how it goes. Last week, we, we, when we were talking about covetous, we, we said in the, the parable of the rich young, well, it wasn't a parable, the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus said, you know, if, whoever gives up houses or family or whatever, it, you will receive a hundredfold return in this life plus eternal life to come. But then he also tacked on there with persecutions. There again, you're rich and you give it all to the poor and go follow Jesus. You're going to get it all back multiplied, but you're going to get persecuted like crazy. Well, what a bargain. Thank you, Jesus. But, and I love verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I, I've said this before. There are, there are, the Bible is very clear. We are to partake of Jesus' suffering, but you need to be really careful when it comes to suffering. There are things that Jesus suffered as our substitute. And we should never allow those things in our life. Sickness, sin, he suffered for both of those. And he conquered them in substituting or uh, suffering as our substitute. But he suffered persecution as an example of how we need to suffer persecution. So we need to take on his persecution. Silly story, but I remember I, 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 every kid in my school knew I was a pastor, which, boy, that really puts a, you know, a load on your behavior. You have to act right. You rep, they know you represent God, and they will watch you. But I had some Christian students come to me after lunch one day, and they were just all upset. And it, it's like, well, what, what's going on? Well, we're being persecuted because we're Christians. I said, really, what happened? Well, we were in the lunchroom, 
and, and so-and-so threw crackers at us. Now, I'm dealing with teenagers, so, uh, but my first thought was, wow, what persecution. But now to them, because, you know, teenagers, you, you want to fit in, you want everybody to like you. That was, that was a little taste of something, and they were having to learn to stand up and not be part of the in crowd. It was mild, and I'm sure today as adults, you know, they're, they're, they're probably taking much more persecution than that. But when we take that persecution and manifest Jesus' attitude, remember, Jesus said, you, you pray for those that despitefully use you. You pray for them and you bless them. You don't curse them. That's tough to do. Somebody comes, it's easier when, when people come after me personally. You come after my kids. Ooh, my flesh gets involved. Real. You come after my grandkids, I'll repent later. I mean, my flesh really gets involved. I'll, you know, you want to get violent. It's like I used to, you know, joke around with, with my students. It's like, I can kill you. I'll pray you back to life, and then I'll beat you to death again. Now, you know, you had to know me and my, the relationship I had with my students. They, they you know, the, more, the, the worse I treated them, the more they loved me. But I would tell them that. It's like, you know, I, I, I can resurrect you from the dead. God's given me that power, and I'll, I'll, I'll put you under and let you see what hell's like, and then I'll bring you back. <clears throat> we have to understand that, that especially with our family members, when, when persecution starts touching them, we have to still sit on our flesh. And we have to do exactly what Jesus said, bless them. And that's not always easy. There are only two reasons you're going to face trials. We saw one right here. You do everything right, you're going to have trials. You do something wrong, you just walked into the devil's backyard and he'll beat your brains in. The only two reasons you are suffering in this world, you're doing something wrong or you're doing something right. There is no neutral ground. There's no no man's land. The lines are drawn. Now, let's go to, to Luke chapter 21. This again... Luke, all of chapter 21, deals with the, after Jesus was, was in the, it was coming up to Passion Week, and he was um, going into the temple every day, presenting his teaching, and, and challenging the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and the, the, all of the lawyers, saying, this is who I am, and this is what I teach, and this is what I believe about me. Now you find fault with me, and nobody could find fault with him. But after he left one day, he turned to the disciples and he said, See that temple? He was off probably on the Mount of Olives. He said, You see that temple? I'm telling you there's a day coming when every stone's going to be thrown down. Won't be one stone upon another. It happened in 70 A.D. And, and the disciples were aghast because in their mind, Jesus was here. He's the Messiah. The Messiah is going to initiate the, the, the millennial reign. They had no idea the church age was coming. They had no idea that there was a first coming and a second coming. They just saw a coming, and we've got him. That's why they reacted the way they do. If you think about uh, 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 Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Peter told Jesus, I will die for you. And Peter was perfectly willing to die. 
But he was only willing to die doing battle to bring in the millennial reign. That's why when, when the soldiers came to, to capture Jesus, he whipped out a sword and whacked off Malchus's ear. And the only reason he caught his ear was because when, I think when Malchus saw the sword coming, he ducked. He dodged to the side and he got his ear instead of his head. And Jesus said, stop. And, and Peter was like, what do you mean stop? It's time to do war against the Romans. we got to bring in the millennial reign. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to the cross. I've been telling you this. And they, had, they could not handle that. Because Peter knew if he's going to the cross, I might go to the cross and I don't mind dying in a sword fight because I know he'll resurrect me. I've seen him resurrect people from the dead. But I don't want to go to the cross, especially if he's going to go to the cross and die first. Even after he was resurrected, if you read in Acts when he ascended, they said, Lord, when are you coming into your kingdom? And he said, guys, do me a favor. Don't think about these things. It's way out of your pay grade. I'm going to go. You go back to Jerusalem. Don't do anything. Just wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then you'll understand all this. They didn't. They went back and they waited, but they also had some, some um, how do we say, committee meetings. Sometimes it's just hard to listen to Jesus' plain language. But Luke 21, this is Jesus explaining everything about the end times. Verse 25, Luke 21, we're going to start in verse 25, says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, and the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. All of that has been happening for 2,000 years, but if you notice, it's getting worse and worse and worse. We're at the point now, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting political about this, but there are politicians in Washington that have already said, the world will end in 12 years if we don't just eliminate everything we do. And basically, if, 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 if you know, they called it the Green New Deal, and I, I can't pronounce her name, so I'm not going to try. She's the congresswoman from New York. And basically, if they, if they implemented that tomorrow... Our, the population of the United States would have to be reduced by 90% to effectively do that. The world's population would have to be reduced. So basically what they're asking you to do to save the planet in the next 12 years is 90% of you need to die. Thank you, but no. I just soon keep... In fact, there, was, there is a, a, a bill before Congress right now by 2040, which that's only 11 years or no, excuse me, my math's 21 years, they want to eliminate all internal combustion engines from the continental United States. So if they do it, there's no trucks, there's no cars, there's no airplanes, can't burn oil. There again, we have to, we have to lose about 90% of our population because we can't feed anybody without that. Why are they doing this? One word, fear. Fear. Now you ask me, I will just tell you, and this is my studied opinion, it, it's a stupid policy based on, on, on bad science, but at the root of it, it's fear. We're, the, the world has a fever because we have infected Gaia with our modernity. 
We're, you know, we're, we've raped the earth by drilling for oil. It's like, are you kidding? It's rock. It's not a living being. But fear has gripped the earth. I just read last night we had a, a, a um, um, not a meteor, but an asteroid that has a little small moon that passed, I think, between the earth and the moon. And it was all over the news. There's an asteroid coming by. Well, they've seen this asteroid for months. They knew it was going to miss the earth. They come by all the time. People just aren't aware of them. But suddenly people are beginning to be aware that we've got all these bodies that zip and past our earth. And my God, we all may die. Why? Because fear is gripping the earth. It's the last days. Verse 27, though, he says, Then they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. All of this is happening right before the turn of, or return of the Lord. But verse 28 says, Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. As Christians, we don't fear any of this. But we are told to do two things. Look up and lift up your head. Lift up your head, literally, I think that, that's talking more about get your attitude straight. Don't get in fear. Don't think, I, I can't believe Look at what our nation, look how it's changing. Look how bad things are getting. Of course they're getting bad. We're getting near the return of Jesus. And it's going to get worse. Now, who knows? We may have revival and turn it around, postpone the return of Jesus by 100 years. I don't know. To be honest with you. God has not set me down and asked me when Jesus needs to come back. So I don't, I'm not aware of, of his counsel on that. But I do know that things, by all appearances, the, the labor pains are getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And the fear is getting more prevalent and more prevalent and more prevalent. Used to, we had to, we had to worry about the Soviet Union having nuclear weapons. Now we've got to worry about some little ding-dong in North Korea having nuclear weapons. Or Iran having nuclear weapons. Or, God forbid, some terrorist having nuclear weapons. It brings fear on you if you just start dwelling on all of that. <clears throat> but we need to look up and lift up our heads, get our attitudes right, and look up. That one, I think, is referring to this whole concept in Hebrews 12. Remember, Hebrews 11 goes through this entire litany of the heroes of faith. Starts with, with Adam, goes all the way through all of the Old Testament characters. And Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, we also... This is our example, all of these heroes of faith. Now for us, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we've got a heritage. Remember, the sins of the father are visited for through the third and fourth generation. You do something wrong in your life, which you do, it will affect your kids and your grandkids and probably your great-grandkids. But the righteousness will affect a thousand generations. So I am, I am the recipient of the blessings going back a thousand generations. Any of my ancestors that did any good work, I'm entitled to the blessing that tags along with that. I only have to worry about four generations of the curses. Well, I ought to have a lot more blessings piled up than curses, just by sheer numbers. So I've got a legacy here. He said, because of that legacy... Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. 
And I know the question is, well, what is the, the sin that so easily ensnares us? I think he tells you right next to that. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We lack endurance. We want to, we'll run the race for a while, and then we get tired of running the race, and we just want to take a vacation. We want to take a vacation from having to fight. You know, there are times when, when if, you, if you work a lot, I've got a brother-in-law that he, he's changed bosses, so now he doesn't have to do this all the time. But he went for three years working seven days a week, 12-hour shifts, never got a day off. Until he just finally, he'd call in sick and say, I'm not coming. And the reason he, he had to work seven days a week is his boss didn't want to come in and do his job, so he had to go in and do his and his boss's job. And the big guys finally figured out when, when my brother-in-law just finally got tired and went to his boss's boss and said, look, if this doesn't end, I'm taking early retirement and I'm out of here and you're going to be hurting when I'm out of here because I'm the only one in the plant that knows how to do this job properly. And he was. And so they fired his boss and got him a new boss and suddenly he's back working regular hours. But in that three years, I guarantee you, there were times when he desperately needed a vacation. And his boss would say, no, you can't have your vacation time. Even when they would shut the entire plant down for maintenance, he'd have to be there working maintenance. We don't have that luxury. We have to have endurance because if you're alive, if your heart's beating, you're under attack and you cannot let go. You cannot relax. Not when it comes to sin, not when it comes to the enemy attacking you. He never quits. And if you try to sit down and just take a break, now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. There is a rest in the Lord. In all of this, you have to realize he's the way maker. He's, it's his anointing that's causing you to, to overcome and to triumph in all of this. And you have to keep that in mind. All you have to do is just show up and do what you know to do. The, verse 2 tells us what that is. Looking unto Jesus when 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 Jesus in Luke 21 says look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh he's talking right now you're redeemed you need to look to me he's the author and finisher of our faith he is the example that set us why who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Jesus was able to endure what he had to endure at in the cross and taking sin and taking the punishment for our sin. He could only do that because he kept his eyes on the end result, the joy that was set before him. Going back to 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Paul said in, 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 I think it was in one of the letters to the Corinthians, he said, these light afflictions that I'm enduring right now are nothing compared to the glory that I'm going to in, enjoy. Paul constantly looked at what his life was throwing at him. And his light afflictions, he was stoned, he was beaten with, with, um, under Jewish law with 39 stripes. Now keep in, in mind, people will tell you, well, Jesus bore 39 stripes. Jesus didn't bear 39 stripes. That 39 stripes was a Jewish law. Romans had no law. Jew, when, most of the time when people went to the, 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 got um, uh, scourged by a Roman, they didn't survive that. 
Jesus survived that and went to the cross. He should have died under that scourging because they had no limit on how many times they could beat you. They could just beat you till you till you passed out and died. They didn't care. That wasn't the purpose of the scourging wasn't to inflict punishment. Well, it was to inflict punishment. It was more to inflict fear on the population because they would see you when they brought the body out. But 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 um, Paul endured stoning, um, beatings at least three times. He endured shipwreck. He endured prison in, in, oh, he makes, our prisons make Paul's prison look like the Taj Mahal. I mean, they were, they were thrown in dungeons with rats and dampness and water, and, and you might get fed a couple of times a week, and you had no bathroom facilities. They didn't even throw you a bucket. It's just pick a corner yourself. That's where you go relieve yourself, and we're not going to clean it up. Just live with it. And he endured that sometimes for months and months and months. And he said, none of this compares to the glory. It's what he's telling us in Hebrews. We, Jesus endured what he had to endure because he saw us at the end of that path. We endure the, what we endure by seeing the end of our path being with Jesus. This is a temporary thing. Life is temporary. Now, I'm going to close with this, and we'll pick this up tonight. But I want, want um, um, in, in, let me go back to Thessalonians chapter 5, verse, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 15. He said, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And then he comes to the prescription. How do you do that? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That is an often misinterpreted verse. It doesn't say um, give thanks for everything that comes your way. It says every circumstance that comes your way you give thanks in the midst of whatever you're going through. Well, how can I give thanks if, if I, somebody just told me I've got cancer and I'm going to have to have surgery and I may not, even that may not save me. You give thanks because Jesus already paid the price for that sickness. And if, if the worst comes and you die on the, on the table in the middle of surgery, you're just going home to get your reward early. That's how we can give thanks in the midst of it. I'm not thanking God that these evil circumstances have come upon me. I'm thanking God that it doesn't matter what my circumstances are. I've got Him. and Because that is His will for me to rejoice always no matter what. Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophecies. Peter said, we have the word of, of prophecy made more sure. The prophecy he's talking about there is this prophecy, the Bible. These are the prophecies that we have to attend to and look to to tell us what the answers are, are for us. And, and the, the, the best one, if you look at, at Revelation chapter 3, the first three chapters of Revelation um, deal with the seven letters to the seven churches. 
And those were actual churches in Asia Minor that, that John was writing to. He was an elder over all of those churches. But they also represent seven types of churches, or they could represent seven ages of the church age. There are a lot of ways of looking at this. But in chapter 3, in, in verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write. He's talking to the church of Laodicea. This is the compromise the compromising church he says you are neither hot nor cold you're lukewarm when it's cold outside well it doesn't have to be cold if i'm gonna and I'm, I'm one of those weird people i have two i have two modes if i'm gonna drink coffee it has to be hot don't give me coffee with ice in it no i'm sorry coffee is always hot or don't serve it and, and when it sits there, if I get to doing something, I forget about it, and I go to take a sip, and it's lukewarm, it's like, yuck. But you know what I've noticed? It doesn't taste that much different lukewarm than it does hot. But I still got to pick it up, go over to the microwave, nuke it for 20 seconds so it at least gets a little bit warm so I can drink it. If I'm going to drink tea, I want ice in it. Don't give me a cup with hot water and a tea bag in it. It's gross. Tea can never be served hot. It has to be served cold. Now, you're free to be wrong if you want to drink hot tea. It's okay. You know, God will let anybody into heaven that repents of their sins. But that's what, that's what John is saying here. He's saying a beverage that's supposed to be hot should be hot. One that should be cold needs to be cold. On a hot day, my father was one of these people. He said, you never drink ice water when it's really hot because it'll bound your, bind your stomach up. And I love my dad, and growing up, you take a gallon milk jug to the, to the field with you, and you let it sit in the sun, and you got to replenish your liquids because that's the only water you had. So you drank it, and it was warm, and it was nasty. And then I got to, when I got to study in human physiology, I realized part of drinking cool water or cold water when you're really hot is it lowers your core temperature down, which you need to do sometimes. Now, you, right, you don't want to drink a lot of it because it will give you a stomach ache if you guzzle it down. But when you're really hot, cold water tastes better than lukewarm water. When you're really cold, hot drinks are better than cold drinks. Whatever the circumstances require, that's what you should be. If it requires that you're hot, be hot. If it requires that you be cold, be cold. Don't just be noncommittal. But to this church, in, in verse, verse 18, he says, I, this is the lukewarm church he's talking to, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. This is the key. That you anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And in every other letter to the church, the seven churches, he always ends with this. He who has ears to hear, hear. So he's got two messages to us here. He's saying in, in Hebrews, he said, look to Jesus. His example, he started our faith, he's going to end the faith. And he handled adversity by looking at the joy that was coming after the adversity. You need to do that, have that same mindset 
But in order to do that, you're going to have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And he rebuked, in, in I think it was in Matthew, he rebuked the um, 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 early church or the, the Jewish. He said, you, you have eyes, but you're blind. You have ears, but you're deaf. And the problem was, if you read the first chapter of John, it says, a great light came upon us. And it says, and men fled to the darkness because their deeds were evil. Same way if you look at Moses. Moses came down off the, off the temple mound. His face shone. The glory of God came off him. And the people said, we don't want to get around that. Put a mask over your face. But today, Paul says, they can't mask the church. So what have they done? They put blinders on their own eyes. They don't want to see the truth. It's why part of the thing that we pray, when it says pray without ceasing, we pray that the blinders come off those that are blind. We pray for their ears to be unstopped, especially for those that are persecuting you. Because they're only persecuting you for one reason. They're in fear. And people that are, um, um, now I forgot her name, Evangelist said it years ago, hurting people hurt. The reason people attack you and persecute you, they're afraid of you. They don't understand you. And so they lash out. Pray for their eyes to be open to the, to the truth of the gospel. Pray that their ears are open to his word. And then plant seed after seed after seed. Bless them. Love on them. It'll freak them out. Well, how can you be so nice to me? Because Jesus died for you. Same way he died for me. I just want to bless you. I don't understand that. I know. But if you'll accept Christ, you will. And this, rather than being a mystery, this book, suddenly this book will become alive to people. And they'll read it and they'll think, wow, I've read that verse. I never saw that before. You know? Most people's favorite verse in, in the Bible is the one that God helps those that help themselves. Problem is, it's not in there. One of our famous politicians quoted a Bible verse, her favorite Bible verse. And one of the reporters, brave man, said, um, I've looked for that verse. It's not in the Bible. Uh, 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 um, 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 well, it's what the Bible teaches. Maybe, maybe not. Make sure if you're going to speak, you're speaking the oracles of God. Pray for people. It's the only way we can endure this time and these persecutions. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.